Hey, Razorback fans, welcome to the Hogbeat Hour. I'm Nikki Chavanel here with Andrew Hutchinson from hogbeat.com. We are the Arkansas Rivals team, so come hang out with us on Hogbeat and get on the trough. Lots of stuff to talk about today. Hutch, Ole Miss last night, I mean, put up a, a decent fight, but Arkansas just found a way to get through their their strict 1-3-1 defense and uh it ended up looking like one of the more complete games that we've seen from them in a while. Yeah, they did exactly what they needed to do, and that was basically control the game uh, from start to finish. It was a little – I mean, it was a tight game close. I think it was like 13-13 uh, before uh, Devo Davis came in off the bench and provided a little spark that they gave Arkansas the lead that it, it wouldn't relinquish the rest of the night. It was – uh, good to see they led by as many as 20 points in the second half ended up winning by 15 really was never in doubt I mean Ole Miss is offensively challenged uh, to put it lightly uh, so you know scoring 70 points is going to be more than enough uh, to, to beat Ole Miss yeah I mean if I mean, we've we've seen it this season uh, with Arkansas a couple times when they've had games where they just cannot get anything going offensively, and that is what Ole Miss looks like a lot apparently this season. And and Kermit Davis was not very happy after the game, and I don't think fans were happy with him because it didn't sound like he had a lot of answers. It kind of sounded a lot like what must sounded like after the Missouri game. So. Um, yeah, it was a good night for Arkansas. Um, defensively, uh, Connor Vanover, I just wrote a story on him. He had a big night with five blocks and, and several more deflections. Um, you know, it, it limited how much they were able to score around the basket. And Connor looked a lot more like what your typical big does look like. Uh, his threes haven't been falling lately, so he's just kind of um, – playing more of the big man role yeah it's it's kind of unusual because he is kind of a three-point shooting guy I mean that's what we he was kind of brought in to do uh but when those shots aren't falling how can you impact the game how can you get on the on the floor and that was something he was having a hard time with I mean he was averaging like four or five minutes a game there for a, a stretch uh got got more minutes against Vanderbilt and then obviously last night against Ole Miss got the uh, a lot of minutes and, and you know scored the ball well had a couple of dunks uh, I mean if I was seven foot three I'd do nothing but dunk uh, grabs grabbed a lot of rebounds blocked shots altered shots uh, was just a really key piece in a game like that where Ole Miss likes to play a little bit slower than Arkansas would like to play and you know, the, the Eric Mossman really gave some good kind of X's and O's insight and in that they were able to throw it ahead to Connor in the corner, which is really how you beat the one three one. Uh and they were able to just kind of throw it over there to him and when a guy's seven foot three, that's a that's a pretty big target. Yeah. And I think the biggest thing with him you know, last game against Vanderbilt, you know, Jalen Williams coming into the game, he had been playing better, but but Musselman went ahead and, and played Connor. He liked the matchup there. And that gave Vanover a little bit more, um, you know, live game play. He hadn't been playing many minutes going into that game. So now against Ole Miss, he was able to kind of get into a rhythm. Um, and I think fans would like Musselman to have a quick 
cook with him. Um, I think we saw it early in the game thread last night on Hogby. People were like, he makes one mistake or he gets beat inside or, you know, it, people do tend to lash out, I think, with him specifically just because lately we haven't seen a lot of good play for him. But then uh, he had his moments where he shined. And um, like that that defensive presence that he was last night was really needed. Um, the only thing I think that kept Ole Miss in the game early was Arkansas's turnovers. Um, and that's something they could continually need to clean up. Uh, Moses Moody had several early um, and then, you know, his, his impact on the game was pretty minimal, but it was uh, good to get other guys going and show that they can still win games without 16, 17, 18 points from Moses Moody. Yeah, I mean, they had really balanced scoring last night. I mean, it was six guys had eight or more points, and none of them were named Moses Moody, which is uh, fantastic. I mean, you, you need a balanced scoring night like that against a 1-3-1, as Eric Mussman said after the game, because it's hard to, hard to really kind of set up plays for one guy in particular. And so uh, it, it was really good to see that. You know, Moody, he definitely struggled with those turnovers earlier, like you mentioned. And what made those so bad was that he had two in the first, like, four or five minutes, and they both led to easy fast-break layups for Ole Miss. And it uh, was really why Ole Miss was able to build an early four-point lead. And he just kind of – he kind of struggled. Uh, but he's a, he's a freshman. As, as good as he is, freshmen are allowed to have bad games. He is still one of the best freshmen Arkansas has had, you know, statistically. Uh, still third on the, the UA freshman list in scoring average. Uh, so he, he is a, a talented guy, but he's going to have games like that every now and then. And it's just important for other guys on the team to, to step up, whether that be a J.D. Note, Devo Davis, or whoever. It's amazing the difference that two weeks can make because two weeks ago, you know, the, the roof was on fire a bit. People were freaking out, and rightfully so. I mean, Arkansas didn't look like a very good team. But they've really regained confidence. Um, this three-game streak is Muss's first um, as Arkansas's head coach. Uh, and I think that, you know, winning just solves everything. Any, any kind of, um, you know, non-chemistry issues that the team might have been having, I think those all get smoothed over once the winning starts happening. And it couldn't come at a much better time considering – the Razorbacks are going to Stillwater on Saturday to play and represent the SEC against Oklahoma State. Yeah, that's, that's a huge game, and, and it's really good to see them playing uh, as well as they are uh, because Oklahoma State is not going to be easy. It's a, it's a quadrant one opportunity uh, for Arkansas. Obviously has no impact on the SEC standings, but uh, would be big when, when building their NCAA tournament resume. So, uh, need to need to have a good showing. You know, it sounds like Cade Cunningham is is going to play. I think, uh, which is which is great. Uh, personally, uh, I I am I'm making a trip over to Stillwater, and I really want to watch the future number one overall draft pick in action, uh, and against Moses Moody, nonetheless. I mean, those guys played at Montverde Academy together, uh, and are two of the top scoring freshmen in the country. So. Uh, should be a really fun matchup, but it, it's good to see Arkansas playing well, so they're going in there with a little bit of confidence. Yeah, I think uh, a lot of people wanted to see Moses get going 
in this past game so that he would be, you know, kind of on a roll for Oklahoma State. But I don't think he's going to, you know, need much more motivation than he's got going to that game. I think, um, you know, towards the end of the recruiting cycle, uh, people maybe just doubted uh, that Moses is as good as he is. Uh, I think he was, you know, one of the top five at Montverde, but there's a lot of talent on that team. So he didn't perhaps get to, to star as much. Um, but now in this game, I think he's going to see this as an opportunity to make a real statement. And it's important to remember, here's a stat. So uh, after Moses Moody's three lowest scoring games this year, he has come back in the next game and scored 24, 25, and 26. So he's not a guy that stays cold forever. Uh, he, he's a guy that can come back and, and play really well after a, a bad game. So I, I, I fully expect him to be the Moses Moody that we have seen uh, throughout most of the season. We haven't even really touched on J.D. Note, but he had a huge night as well. And it just seems like things are coming together for Arkansas. Yeah, J.D., he's a guy I, I joked before uh, the season, I think it was maybe during the Mississippi Valley game or uh, maybe the second game, one of those early games where Arkansas didn't have any issues. I said, man, J.D. has never seen a shot he didn't like. As soon as he steps foot in the gym, he is firing away. And I think it's driven Eric Mussman a little bit crazy. I, I think he's even said it like, you know, JD is a guy on this team that can go get you a shot at any time. It just may not be a good shot. Uh, so uh, that, that was one of my biggest takeaways from last night. I don't think JD took any bad shots uh, against Ole Miss. There were some that were a little tight or, you know, decently contested. But if you have enough confidence, like that's not going to make a difference if you're just – you know, having a pretty accurate night. So, yeah, I really – I don't mind J.D. Note shooting. Like, he's a good shooter. So, as long as he feels good about it, I'm, I'm good with it. I mean, it depends on the situation. When you're up by 15, it's a lot easier to say, you know, go for it. But um, I think he needs to be one of those guys because Arkansas just doesn't have guys that are, like, consistently automatic like that. And when he's – on he's he's really good yeah I mean you'd like to see Moses Moody be that guy the the guy that has that Mason Jones attitude where he's like I'm just gonna go out there and kick your butt uh but Moses he he doesn't really seem to have that uh killer instinct and I don't even know if that's really fair to say uh he's a freshman and it's almost his demeanor which is something yeah. I noticed last night he's just so calm like when there was a bad call about him like he didn't even really react he was just like like he's very mature in the way that he reacts to things which mason jones i would say he was not the most mature in just like his emotions yeah mason wore his emotion on on a sleeve kind of like you know eric musselman does and that's okay you know you need guys like that but moses he is just that kind of calming factor uh he's very quiet even whenever he scores a lot you know, you don't really notice it. And then you look down at the stat sheet and he's got 24 points. You're like, what? When did that happen? When did yeah, you Yeah, he's not like holding up his fingers, like pumping the crowd up, you know, what much of a crowd that they have. Like, he's just very level-headed. And I don't know where he got that. Uh, maybe from Montverde with all those other guys who is just like, 
it's just kind of what they do. Maybe they don't make a big deal out of it, but uh, I think it works for him. I think Musselman probably appreciates that about him. I think most coaches would. Yeah, I think so. And I mean, but of course, I, I also feel like maybe, maybe, I don't, I don't, Eric hasn't ever said this, but maybe Musselman would like to see him be a little bit more assertive and shoot the ball a little bit more. I mean, he shoots it at a really high clip. Uh, he has, I mean, he has a, a beautiful jump shot. I mean, it is, it's so smooth. I mean, there's a reason every time he makes one, it seems like people are making Joe Johnson comparisons on the message board. Uh, it's just, it looks good. Uh, and so I, I would like to see Moses maybe be a little bit more assertive, but also he's done a pretty good job throughout the year, you know, playing within himself as is. So I don't want to be too, too critical. I guess we can't really say because, you know, Moses is likely gone after this year, I think, but seeing Debo Davis, you know, break out last night and have another good game. I mean, I thought he was going to have a career game and then I noticed that he had like 20 earlier this season. So it wasn't going to happen, but um, him playing so well and then Jalen Williams having his big games here and there like I feel like the core of this team is going to be in good hands at least for the next season as well yeah I think whenever Arkansas brought in this group of four signees you know it's unfortunate KK is is injured and out for the rest of the year because I think we'd be seeing similar flashes from him as we have from Devo and Jalen you kind of had that thought that okay Moses best case scenario you're probably going to have him for two years he might be the first one and done. I mean, that was written by every outlet and, and people on Twitter were saying that on the message board. And sure enough, he is, he's looking like he could be a lottery pick as a one and done, the first in school history. But the other three guys, you're like, man, these are really talented guys, but they aren't necessarily that one and done type. They're maybe more along the lines of a Desi Sills who's going to stay in school for three or four years and just consistently get better and better. And by the time they're an upperclassman, they're among the best players in the SEC. And I think that's what's really setting Arkansas up for success down the line is that they're just going to keep getting better and better and better. And uh, it's going to be really fun to watch them develop over these next few years. Yeah, as fun as the whole transporter, muscleman always bringing in transfers thing is, I think it is essential, especially – with the fans because if there are no guys that you like get to know and like you know watch grow up before you like you just don't have the same appreciation for the the team as a whole when you're watching games otherwise it's just kind of like just guys you know like you have to get to know them over time and as much as people will will love Moses Moody after he goes I think you know a, a Devo Davis as a senior people are gonna just you know obsess about him so um, there there's you have to have both I think and if you could have a lottery pick every year obviously that would be great but it's more likely that you bring in you know just consistent contributors that continue to grow the Razorbacks 2021 schedule it is pretty much exactly what we thought it would be so no big surprises, but still quite a few takeaways. Um, they open the season against Rice. I know Rice pretty well being a Houston native, and uh, they are, you know, not a threat um, that I have noticed of recently. So, um, you know, they're, they're the nerds. That's how everyone knows them. 
intellectual brutality is their slogan, which um, if that tells you anything, um, you know, Arkansas isn't known for the uh, book smarts. And so they should be able to uh, have a pretty good game here in Fayetteville. And then week two, that's the game everyone is excited for. I know there aren't many home SEC games, but I feel like this game might make up for it a little bit. Uh, the Longhorns come to Fayetteville. Uh, Hutch, how excited as, you know, someone who covers the Razorbacks are you to see this old Southwestern Conference matchup? Man, I am pumped. I mean, anytime you can play Texas in any sport, it just seems like you've got a little extra excitement. I know the young fans, you know, people my age don't really remember the Southwestern Conference. I mean, I wasn't even alive when the Southwestern Conference existed, but uh, Arkansas, Texas back in the day was one of the premier rivalries in college football. Uh, during the 1960s, uh, it was a major game in determining the national champion. Uh, and so, uh, there, there were heartbreaking losses, uh, exhilarating wins. Uh, unfortunately, the losses outnumbered the, <laughs> the wins usually, uh, but it, it, it should be a, a really fun game, and I'm personally looking forward to it. It's the first time that, our, that Texas will be coming to Fayetteville since 2004, uh, which was an absolutely heartbreaking loss. Ten-year-old Andrew was absolutely devastated uh, that uh, you know, Matt Jones fumbled uh, in field goal range in a game, Arkansas lost 22 to 20. So uh, just absolutely devastating. Uh, but, you know, since then, Arkansas has beaten Texas uh, in the Texas Bowl back in 2014, the borderline erotic uh, game, if people may remember that, uh, from Brett Bielema. Uh So it, it's a, uh, it should be a fun, fun game. And, you know, who knows what Texas look, looks like. They're going to be breaking in a new quarterback, new head coach, uh, should be a, an interesting game. I know our, Texas will probably be ranked because Texas is always ranked early in the season. Uh, but who knows? Maybe Arkansas could be the team that, that brings people back down to reality that, hey, maybe Texas isn't that good. We already got a little taste of it, but uh, the SUC network or wherever broadcasts the game, we're going to hear a lot of Alabama talk because, you know, Steve Sarkeesian's over there at Texas now. Um, you know, it was SEC network yesterday, and it sounded like, I know you tweeted this sound like Longhorn Network. <laughs> they were it just, was typical. Yeah. Very typical. Very typical. Uh, but, you know, whatever. It's in Fayetteville, so I'm sure the home broadcast will give it some, some Arkansas flavor. Um, week three, Georgia Southern. I've got no real takeaways from that other than, you know, it's a decent team. I'm pretty sure Georgia Southern runs the option offense, uh, which if that's the case, that's going to be really, really tough. Uh, yeah, they run the option. And so that is going to be a tough non-conference game. People are probably writing it off as, oh, whatever, it's Sunbelt team. You know, Arkansas should be able to cruise and win that game. But coming off a game against Texas and right before a game against Texas A&M, this is kind of the makings of a classic trap game. Uh, so it, it, you shouldn't just completely uh, look over Georgia Southern on the schedule because they have a, a funky offense and a horrible timing for Arkansas sandwiched between two really big games. Yeah, week four, Arkansas is going to AT&T Stadium to face the Texas A&M Aggies, which 
I know. Everyone is outraged because this game should be in Fayetteville after they moved it to uh, College Station this past year. Uh, but I guess Arkansas had to honor its contract agreement with AT&T Stadium, and here we go. But I don't mind. I know the the players like playing at AT&T. It's not very often that you get to do that. Um, A&M will be with a new quarterback. Kellen Mond is entering the draft, so uh, it'll be early in the season. So maybe Arkansas can get the best of them, but A&M is a very talented team. So I'm not going to predict a win in that one. Yeah, Texas A&M should have a really, really good defense based on my understanding, talking to some Texas A&M people. Uh, they, they return a couple of key seniors, uh, kind of like Arkansas did on that side of the ball. So it uh, should be a, a really tough challenge. But, you know, as you said, it's early in the season. And Arkansas, even when Texas A&M has been a top 10 team, uh, has been pretty competitive in this series. I know it wasn't exactly super competitive this past year in College Station, but uh, traditionally at AT&T Stadium, it is a very close and competitive game, regardless of how bad Arkansas is. I mean, Chad Morris almost beat them. I mean, that tells you – almost beat them twice, I'm pretty sure. So uh, that tells you everything you need to know about that series is it, it's, it's going to be a good one uh, pretty much regardless of the ranking of either team. Yeah, the only – I think the disadvantage for Arkansas is that they will be, you know, with a new quarterback. So will, so will A&M, but uh, I think that their backups have had a bit more – um, experience in actual game situations. So I think that might be the one disadvantage for Arkansas. Uh, in week five, they go to Georgia, which is the crossover game that people thought, oh, maybe maybe they'll pick someone else since, you know, they uh, played them just this year. But nope. Road game against Georgia, I think that's one of two games that most people, you don't really need much of a crystal ball to predict how that one's going to go. Yeah, I mean, I don't know why people – got themselves convinced that the SEC would, would change the rotation. The SEC never indicated that. Um, I don't think this is something you need to be mad at the SEC for. If you want to be mad at the SEC, be mad at the SEC for how they screwed Arkansas in 2020. Uh, yeah. that, that is still the biggest just you-know-what that I've ever seen. So, uh, I, I, yeah, I don't, I don't see Arkansas winning this game. Um, I'm trying to think if Arkansas has been to Georgia – I think the last time Arkansas went to Georgia was in 2010 when Arkansas won on a last-second touchdown pass to Greg Childs, the Childs Please game. I don't think they've been back to Georgia since then. Uh, good memories. However, that was about a decade ago. So a uh, completely different situation. It uh, looks like JT Daniels has kind of secured that quarterback job at Georgia, and they're always going to have just bukus of talent. You know, they're – probably one of the most talented teams in the country right there behind the likes of Alabama, Ohio State, and Clemson. We will get uh, one of Arkansas's actual victories from this season, Ole Miss in week six um, at Ole Miss, though. So, um, you know, they get that home field advantage. They're also returning uh, their multiple quarterbacks, I believe. So should be an interesting game in Oxford. 
Arkansas Ole Miss is probably one of the most exciting series in college football that no one nationally really talks about. It is always insane. You know, seven overtime game back in 2001, the, the Henry Heave in 2015. Uh, you've had other uh, overtime games, games that come down to the last second. You know, even last year's game was just wild. I mean, six interceptions, I want to say it was, with three of them by a walk-on redshirt freshman named Hudson Clark. I mean – it's just it, it it's always something with Ole Miss and Arkansas, and uh, I am personally really looking forward to that game. Oxford's always a fun trip. Uh, they love their football down there, and it's not exactly the nicest stadium in the world, but it is a good atmosphere. So if, if no one's ever made that trip, assuming everything is is fine on the pandemic front, uh, I highly recommend it because it is a a fun trip. After that, Arkansas welcomes. First-time SEC head coach Brian Harson and the Auburn Tigers to Fayetteville. Um, if there's any year that Arkansas could potentially have Auburn's number, especially after the unfortunate events of the 2020 game, I think this is the year with a team that has regressed. Um, but you never know. Brian Harson is kind of – a hot name, so maybe they're better than we think. And who knows what Bo Nix could do with competent coaching. I mean, he's he had Chad Morris last year. Uh, yeah, everyone was thinking that he's going to make these huge strides, you know, he's going to be great, whatever. I'm like, y'all, did y'all see what Chad Morris did the last two years? Yeah, he recruited Deshaun Watson like a million years ago, but come on. So I, I, I don't know. I, it makes me look, I, I see a lot of people kind of chalking that up as a win for Arkansas. And that makes me pretty nervous because Auburn still does recruit at a completely different level as Arkansas. They have a lot more talent. And, you know, Brian Harson I think is a good coach. Yes. A first year coach in the sec, but a lot of success at Arkansas state and then Boise state. So uh, make, makes me a little bit nervous for that game, but it is, uh, in Fayetteville, so that that should help, uh, and you know maybe they can get their revenge for the way last year's game unfolded. Although I don't think Scott Fountain gets enough blame for that game for uh, the whole debacle of a, a botched extra point hold by a guy who'd never been a holder, and then you have to go for two for the rest of the game, cost you three points, and lo and behold, you lose by two. I think Scott Fountain has a lot of redemption opportunities this season. No, yeah, yeah. <laughs> when you set the bar as low as it was this year, uh, yeah, lots, lots of room for redemption. Um, Arkansas plays the final non-conference game of their season, um, October twenty-third. UAPB. When's the last time Arkansas played UAPB? Well, they've never played UAPB. Huh. Uh, oh, they hey. they haven't played an in-state school in football. Since World War II, 1944, Arkansas beat UA Monticello. Uh, they were known as Arkansas A&M back then. That is the last time Arkansas played in-state school. This is obviously made possible by Hunter Yurchek kind of loosening the restrictions of playing those kind of schools. Uh, I know Arkansas, a lot of, well, I don't know about Arkansas fans, but like a lot of fans across the state have been calling for Arkansas versus Arkansas State for, I mean, as long as I can remember. Uh, and so I don't think that's going to happen. He hasn't quite opened that door yet, although we are getting an Arkansas, Arkansas State baseball game, an Arkansas UCA baseball game. Uh, 
but right now it's just the University of Arkansas System Schools, and that Division One level is only UAPB and Little Rock, and Little Rock doesn't play football. So uh, you got UAPB on the schedule this year, and then again, I believe in 2024. Taking little baby steps. <laughs> um, next, Arkansas has an open date. That's Halloween weekend. That's kind of nice. Um, and then they play Mississippi State at home. Um, I love that because Mississippi State is a very winnable game and they get it after the bye week. So that's perfect. Not only that, but Mississippi State's bye week is much earlier in the season. They, they, have, they, they, they have the second earliest bye week in the SEC. Uh, and so they're going to be playing three straight games coming into the Arkansas game. So uh, they may be a little bit beat up. Arkansas will essentially be coming off a two-week bye because UAPB is not going to give them any issues. I see Arkansas winning that game by 60 or 70 points uh, and getting a lot of experience for young guys. So it's basically, as I said, going to be a two-week bye going into that Mississippi State game that is going to be, you would think, very winnable, especially going into Starkville and winning that game in 2020. Unfortunately, Arkansas finishes a season on the road for three games, even though, you know, obviously they play Missouri and Little Rock. So they're they're playing – at LSU and then at Alabama and then in Little Rock versus Missouri. That kind of sucks. I feel like it's always nice to have um, – like when are they going to do senior day? The, the Mississippi State game? That's Or I guess they do it in Little Rock? It's just so weird. Yeah, I, I think they – did they do senior day ceremonies at the Missouri game in Little Rock in – uh, 2019. I wasn't there because I, you know, just became a father, so I, I don't remember have any memories of that time. Yeah, I can't remember if they did or not. No, I remember clearly them doing it at Razorback Stadium in in Fayetteville for the Western Kentucky game. Yes, I remember them taking <laughs> pictures on the field. That's right. I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> one, one last I remember we Morris. made a joke that that Brito Tut was gonna bring yes. his exercise bike on the field with him <laughs> yes how could uh, I forget that yeah so I don't know it's I don't like that they're finishing the season all on the road but um you know Missouri game that one's classic don't know if it will be on Black Friday or not but that's a very winnable game as well and I know Arkansas fans, I mean, the more that Missouri wins these games, the more it becomes important for Arkansas to win one. I mean, the, the overlap in recruiting, I think that this is going to become a bigger issue because they are trying to recruit up in Missouri more. Yeah, and I mean, Arkansas fans, they'll tell you, they'll scream like, I want to beat these guys and, you know, yada, yada, but, but it's not a rivalry. No, don't, don't call it that. And I get it. I get it. You're very resistant to it because it was so forced upon you. It replaced the LSU game at the end of the year. You've got a new fancy, shiny trophy with a corporate sponsored name. It's just, but, you know, if you put all that aside, it is becoming a little bit of a rivalry. And I mean, last year's game was an absolute classic that ended in absolutely heartbreaking fashion for Arkansas. Uh, I mean, people forget that the touchdown pass that they got from KJ, I mean, KJ played incredible for one, uh, and the touchdown pass and then the crazy two-point conversion that Mike Woods came down with was just an incredible game. To lose it on the last second field goal hurt and makes people forget about that, but it is a, 
has been a very entertaining series, even though Missouri has come out on top more times than not. Just gut feeling. What do you think Arkansas's record is going to be? I'm going with six and six. The QB play is going to be a question mark, but they return a lot of talent, a lot of older guys with a lot of experience. I think they can do it. Yeah, six and six is kind of what I'm thinking. Uh, I think the five to seven win range is kind of the most likely uh, area they fall, and, and six and six makes the most sense. Uh, you, you've got three non-conference games that you should win. You know, Rice, Georgia Southern, granted it is a trap game as we discussed, and UAPB. You know, can you steal the game against Texas? You know, getting it at home and early in the year should help. Uh, can you? Uh, steal some of those other SEC games that are, are going to be tough, like maybe an A&M or, uh, you know, one of those. But you, you feel like you could beat, you know, at least one of the Mississippi schools, if not both of them. Missouri's winnable. Uh, I think LSU is going to rebound and be a lot better uh, this coming year. Uh, so I don't know if I'm going to pick them to beat LSU and Baton Rouge, uh, but it wouldn't completely surprise me. I think the two games that you chalk up as definite losses are, you know, at Alabama and at Georgia. But other than that, I wouldn't be totally 100% shocked to see them win, but I'm not about to sit here and predict 10 and two. That'd be a little bit crazy. Uh, But six and six definitely seems reasonable. I would need to go to your house and bring you back to reality somehow (laughs) if you did that. There was some coaching turnover this week, as well as a support staff change. So let's catch everybody up. Uh, The biggest name was Cody Kennedy, the Southern Miss, very brief uh, offensive line coach and run game coordinator, formerly of Tulane. He was hired to replace John Cooper, the tight ends coach of one year. First of all, John Cooper, uh, we heard that news on Friday. I wasn't too surprised, but at the same time, I was a little taken aback because it didn't seem like, um, based on the play this year, that there was really a, 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 a change that needed to be made, although I could see how the room was lacking. Yeah, but I also don't know how much we need to blame John Cooper for that. Uh, The room was going to be lacking regardless. I mean, before the season, everyone was like, well, you got Hudson Henry and who else? I mean, Blake Kern was an unknown because he was former walk-on who never caught a pass in his career. I don't even know if he'd ever been thrown a pass in his career as, and he was going to be a fifth year senior. And then who else behind that? I mean, they were literally trying, I mean, they moved Marcus Henderson to tight end at one point. They moved Eric Thomas to tight end at one point. Uh, Blaine Toll went to tight end, defensive end, tight end, and back again. Uh, so it it was a, a very lacking room to begin with. And I thought Blake Kern really kind of emerged and had a solid season. He wasn't, you know, a Mackey Award winner by any means, but he was definitely solid. Uh, Hunter Henry showed some flashes, or Hayden, or Hudson Henry, one of the Henry <laughs> brothers, uh, had shown some flashes. He, he's battled injuries in his career though that really kind of I think hindered him though from really fulfilling his full potential so uh, I don't know how much you can really put on John Cooper but again we're not in the meetings all the time with Sam Pittman on the coaching staff we're not at all the practices so if anyone is qualified to make that kind of decision it would be Sam Pittman 
it was weird because so John Cooper was like Kendall Bryles' guy, right? Like that was his hire that he got to make. And then on Barry Odom's side of the staff, um, they replaced Sam Pittman's guy, Ryan Rhodes, the former JUCO head coach, with one of Odom's guys, um, Michael Scherer, who was an analyst and kind of like his right-hand man up in the box during games. So it it like – Bryles loses one of his guys. Odom gets to promote one of his guys. It seems like there, there's like all these dynamics behind the scenes that we don't get to, I guess, hear about. And that, I mean, I wish we could, but, you know, we, we still get to see how it all plays out. And I think, you know, Cody Kennedy is obviously a Pittman hire. He worked with Kennedy at uh, Georgia. He was a grad assistant for him on the offensive line. And from everything I have read about him, a uh, very personable guy, um, Will Hall, who gave him his first job at, um, I think it was West Alabama. Um, he brought him up with him, like, everywhere that he went. So um, there was loyalty there. So when Hall went to Southern Miss from Tulane, uh, there was a bit of a, a tug of war over whether Kennedy would stay with Willie Fritz or go uh, with Hall to Southern Miss, and he decided to make that move. But then Sam Pittman, I guess, called, and a month later, he's now a position coach in the SEC. Um, given that, uh, you know, he wasn't a tight ends coach um, and he hasn't coached at this level before, I think we just kind of have to – trust that Sam Pittman knows the guy that he worked with for a year. And um, from what I have read, I didn't watch Tulane, uh, but from what I've read, their offensive line play uh, took a, a big, big step forward while he was there. And um, obviously a lot of the tight end game is blocking and, um, you know, pass blocking and um, pass protection. So, uh, he's obviously going to have an impact there. And I think they need it. Uh, even Blake Kern, who is heralded as the best blocker in the room, even he's not that good. Uh, he's middle of the pack in the SEC after after I looked at uh, the tight end blocking grade. So he could take a big step forward and maybe even find a role for himself. Uh, I, this is crazy. In the NFL as like, you know, a block first kind of guy. And now he's even catching passes. So who knows? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely interesting. And, uh, you know, another thing that I just noticed, I don't think you and I have talked about before, but with Cody Kennedy, you know, when he was at Tulane, the head coach was Willie Fritz. Well, Willie Fritz and Sam Pittman worked together or played together at Pitt State in college. And so there is a really good connection there uh, that Sam Pittman, uh, and I think Sam Pittman's even talked about, you know, him and Willie Fritz are friends and they talk frequently and stuff. So if, this guy, you know, not only did he work with Sam Pittman for a year, so Pittman has that kind of already uh, knowledge of him, but he's able to talk to a good buddy and Willie Fritz and say, hey, man, how is this guy as a recruiter? How is this guy as, a, you know, running his own position group and, and things like that that he necessarily didn't get to see as a GA? So uh, really interesting connection there that I, I literally just realized as we were talking about it. Um, in terms of recruiting, not much that I can tell um, from his offensive line recruiting at Tulane. He did get um, a big-time three-star from Louisiana to stay home and, and play there in New Orleans. So uh, that 
seems like a good recruiting job there, but it's just not very uh, comparable. It's You can't really translate that over into the SEC, so we'll just have to see how he does. Um, he's already got one 2022 tight end commit, uh, Dax Courtney, down at DeWitt, so uh, not too much work he has to do. I know that they're going to want one more. It's very obvious they've offered a lot more tight ends since Courtney committed, so usually that's a good sign that they want more than one, and the room could definitely use it, so we'll see how they do on that second one. Dax, uh, skinny kid, he's, he's going to need to bulk up uh, to play at this level, so if they could get uh, another tight end who is a little bit more ready to play, that's going to be big, and so we'll keep an eye on how Coach Kennedy uh, does with that, um, but you noticed that a lot of these staff changes have a, a younger guy replacing a young guy. So the staff has now got four coaches who were still playing college ball, um, you know, as recently as, as you and I were in high school. So uh, very young staff. And soon here we might have an assistant who is even younger than we are. And at that point, we might have to quit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Michael Michael Scherer actually graduated high school the same year as me, uh, and that was really wild to think about. Uh, I, I did confirm that he is 27 right now. I'm still 26 for a few more months, so I am still younger than all of the assistant coaches, uh, but it's it's coming, and, and you're right. I mean, four of these assistants, you know, with uh, you know, the three new ones, Kenny Guyton, the wide receivers coach, I haven't mentioned him, and then Sam Carter, who was on staff last year as a defensive backs coach uh, are all guys who finished their playing careers in the, uh, I guess you call it the 2010s, uh, that decade. Uh, and so it, it, they are a lot younger. Uh, it sounds like they want the younger guys. I guess they liked how Sam Carter did, who, you know, it, on his behalf got a lot of praise across the industry. It seemed like his name was floated around as one of the you know top rising assistant coaches in the country and in the SEC. So uh, hey, if it worked then and, and you've got these connections to guys, you know, that you worked with, whether it be Pittman uh, with Kennedy at Georgia or Guyton with Bryles at Houston, uh, that there are connections there and they say, hey, we like them, bring them in and, and let's see how it goes. Yeah, I mean, I'm seeing it already. Uh, Kenny Guyton recruits are saying that he's easy to talk to. Um, and I know that that's a big thing that Sam Carter, his, his recruits always say, you know, he, he tells it like it is, he's young, um, and a lot of these younger coaches, they have a lot more energy to text these kids and DM them and play video games with them and all this kind of stuff that goes on in recruiting these days, so uh, you have to think it bodes well, although it is tough sometimes with these young coaches because they don't have a resume of guys that they've put in the NFL and stuff like that, which can be a big help in recruiting, like Justin Stepp being able to point to Cortland Sutton. That was really big for him in recruiting. Every kid was like, yeah, you know, I, I could be the next Cortland Sutton. So having that is nice. And hopefully um, over time, these guys get some of their own. Um, I don't know how much credit Sam Carter will be able to take, but Jalen Catalan, he'll be in the league very soon and he'll be able to point to having a hand in his development. So over time, these young hires will probably pay off. But then you also wonder, you know, how, how often you're going to have to give them raises because they will be tried to get pulled here and there by other coaching staffs. Yesterday, Pete Thamel of our 
partner over there at Yahoo Sports. He tweeted that the NCAA is very close to deciding something about this dead period that has been going on since last March. That means kids have not been able to go on campuses and visit Uh, you know, officially with the coaches and actually see them since last March. The 2021 kids, they have signed with no official visits, um, no in-home visits. It was all virtual. And from what I can tell, they didn't love it. They got through it, but it sucked. So for these 2022 kids, this is really big news. The NCAA wants to go to um, a quiet period, um, which – I'm pretty sure still means that they can, it's like, it sounds like there's not a lot of communication during a quiet period, but there is, and they can visit. How they handle it is going to be interesting because different states obviously have different levels of of openness, and um, it's still going to be, you know, a challenge for kids to travel. They might not want to travel. Their parents not might, might not want to, so the virtual stuff will it will continue, but they'll have a chance to get on campus. And I know that um, this 2022 class is already a little bit behind. Um, Arkansas did get three commits early, but just compared to where um, a lot of kids usually start committing in February and March, once they can get some visits in, uh, that won't happen until about April now. But they do see the light at the end of the tunnel so they can start narrowing down their focus, deciding which schools to get to first. And that's something I'm particularly excited about because right now I'm staring at 300 offers and just kind of like, we'll see. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I'm just happy for these kids to be able to to come and visit schools because I couldn't imagine being you know in high school and having to decide okay this is where I'm going to go to college without ever actually visiting the school I mean I I went to the University of Arkansas and I'm from Northwest Arkansas so I'm very familiar with that campus but before I made that decision I went and visited the University of Missouri I visited Oklahoma State University I mean these other universities I had to go see in person to see what they were like and you know knowing that these guys are all football players who have aspirations of playing in the NFL and there's a lot of money out there and stuff. I mean, it's a very stressful situation when you're trying to think what's the best fit for me. And so I'm, I'm glad that they are going to be able to, to have some visits. I hope they open things up where you can have camps and, you know, things like that and uh, coaches out on the road and evaluating at practices and stuff. Cause I think that just improves the product on the field because you're getting a better idea of what kind of player you're getting uh, but at the very least, I, I'm glad these kids are able to go and, and visit potential schools that they're going to spend the next three to five years at. For Arkansas, it's especially important to get kids on campus because how many people just go into the state of Arkansas just to visit? I mean, I lived one state south, and I never visited Arkansas before, didn't know what to expect when I was coming to move up here and I was taken aback by how beautiful it was and um, the mountains and the hills and all that stuff so uh, I think that kids just get a totally different impression of Arkansas uh, once they get up here in northwest Arkansas obviously it's not what the whole state looks like but I like to think it's the most beautiful part of the state and so when kids get to see that 
it's it's a big plus for Arkansas, uh, and the fact that they just haven't had many 2022s on campus, unlike other schools. Like if you're a Texas prospect in Texas, it's a lot easier um, to go visit one of the big state schools uh, just on your own. Um, like when you're a sophomore, like my, my mom had me visiting schools in Texas when I was a sophomore in high school, which is ridiculous, but it, that is something that kids do. So uh, they had the advantage of getting those early visits where Arkansas did not. So they have a lot of catching up to do, but their strategy, what I is, <laughs> what I have um, kind of figured out is that they're just going to offer as many kids that they like. Like if they see tape, they're not 100% sure what their attitude is or whatever, but if they like the tape, they're gonna offer because this class, what does an offer really mean? I mean, until you get on campus and everything and, and check it out, uh, there aren't a lot of kids committing. So it's just a sign of interest. And so Arkansas is gonna get their foot in the door with as many as they think that they would like to have. Um, and then they'll narrow it down from there. When I was looking at offer numbers across the SEC, I was surprised and had to double check with the Missouri writer, but Missouri has only given out 120 offers. They are doing the exact opposite of what Arkansas is doing. They are offering just their top, just their favorites, and then they're gonna go from there. Once the dead period ends, they'll get kids on campus, see who actually shows up, and then wherever on the board that they feel like they need more prospects, they'll go and offer those. So a different strategy. I think Arkansas might end up better off offering a lot more because then once the dead period ends, more of them will come to campus and they can figure things out a little sooner than Missouri who might be waiting a lot longer to figure out what their legitimate options look like. We'll see. It's, uh, it's all, you know, just intricate recruiting stuff that I know not a lot of people follow, but as I'm trying to figure out uh, where priorities stand and stuff, it's, it's been tough and I've tried to like figure out what other recruiting writers are doing because frankly, I cannot follow up with 300 kids uh, every week and see how often the coaches are talking to them. So uh, you have to find other ways to do it. Come on, Nikki. Don't be a slacker. <laughs> I, I am making good progress on my quarterback board, but what I have noticed is that all the top schools have offered like the same 10 kids. So until these kids start committing, like it's just not going to be clear because um, Kate Klubnik, who I would consider a lot of schools top choice, they're all waiting on him to see what he does. And until he makes a decision, they're not moving on to the next target. So Arkansas has offered 16, which is a lot more than some of these other schools. So they're at least um, putting the beginnings of relationships together with these other kids, just in case they end up, you know, having to go a little further down the board. But I'm trying to figure out which of the top ones that they have offered are really legitimately serious about um, coming to check Arkansas out. And one of them, Connor Weidman, uh, you might know him because he is a top baseball prospect as well. And Arkansas's baseball program 
um, is doing a lot of heavy lifting, I think, in this uh, relationship with him because he wants to play both sports and um, his other options are like Georgia and Texas A&M. And he's from Texas, so you assume that they have a little bit um, extra. But if Dave Van Horn shows enough interest, who knows? That would be huge because he's one of the top Texas quarterbacks um, and he is 100% sure he wants to play both. So uh, that would be pretty big. And they've already got somebody at Arkansas who could tell them about what it's like, you know, and Connor Nolan, he can say, hey, here's what it's like. Obviously, it's a completely different staff that you and Connor. Not but as much of a success story. No, but you can at least say, hey, here's, here's what it's going to be like. I'll shoot you straight. Yeah. Um, I, I like what they're doing so far. There's a lot of uh, good kids on their board at quarterback. So uh, stay, stay tuned on Hogbeat in the next week. And I'm going to like really dive into that, put it together and show who Arkansas is competing uh, with for these kids, which should give us a good idea of who they might end up with, um, even though we're still quite a ways out. Um, thanks everybody for tuning in to this week's episode of the Hogbeat Hour. If you missed any of it from Hoops Talk to uh, the new schedule release, you can uh, catch the whole show on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. And you can go subscribe to hogbeat.com anytime and get 30 days free with code HAWGS30. Thanks everybody. Have a great weekend. Uh, Hutch will be uh, live tweeting and and we'll have a live thread of the Yukon women's game tonight in Bud Walton Arena and then the Stillwater Oklahoma State game on Saturday so tune in with us <laughs>